Wrestling with God is an invitation to bring your questions, your doubts, and your frustrations to God, to engage in the struggle of flesh and faith. Those who wrestle acknowledge that they will never have all the answers, but know that the wrestling is still worth it. On this podcast, we hold space for those who have engaged in the struggle, and we invite you to join us as we sit in the tension of faith and doubt and press forward in wrestling with God. Welcome to episode three of Wrestling with God. Woohoo! <laughs> We're going to talk about purity culture. You all have been waiting for it. We've been waiting to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> we were planning this podcast and thinking about what our topic was going to be for this um, show, um, for this um, episode. And we mentioned purity culture. And I asked Megan, I was like, should we like save the good stuff for later? And Megan was like, no, let's do it now. <laughs> well, you know, when a, when a song called WAP comes out and just like, freaks out every evangelical in the world you kind of have to talk about it i had to look it up i had to look it up i had had no idea i did yeah but did you watch the video (laughs) i have so i have not watched the video yet but i have watched many video parodies and many um uh, dance routines so you get it like on tiktok oh yeah i totally get it um there I read somewhere that there have been people who have like dislocated hips and stuff doing the dance choreography from the music video. <laughs> That's so funny, but I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. TikTok is dangerous. It's dangerous for your health. <laughs> well, so is that dance choreography for WAP music video. Lord. Oh, you are not Cardi B. <laughs> let Cardi B do what Cardi B does and Just you stay her, out of her life. Live lane. her life. <laughs> she has she has muscles and joints we don't. <laughs> so true. It's so true. That should be like a little um warning label on all of her music. Like yeah. do not do try not this attempt. At yeah. <laughs> you don't have this. That's right. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, I think that we both want to talk about this because it was so central Mm -hmm. to our former faith traditions, this obsession with um, human sexuality and drawing particular um, and specific uh, boundaries around what is okay and what's not and what is a sin and what's not and what's good and what's bad um, that often felt so constrained for me uh, that there was no room for expression of human sexuality which I now look at as a perfect, beautiful, and wonderful gift from the divine, it was, like, viewed in my faith traditions as, like, something to be uh, thought of as inherently bad and, like, repulsive. Yeah. Literally repulsive. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, you know, 
your your body is sinful and there's a lot of like control your body control your desires control your urges control your flesh you know the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak um it's a lot and i in my a big part of my deconstruction process has been also realizing the ways that purity culture didn't just affect the way that they controlled our sexuality and our bodies, but also um, our emotions and uh, how we how we viewed just our our feelings. You know, it's it's always and forever this control your body, control your feelings. They're always trying to lead you astray. You can never trust your body, and that just simply isn't true. And it's not that is not a healthy way to think about yourself and your body and your your feelings yeah and we'll no doubt talk about this in a little bit but in my traditions they even controlled my dress like my clothing what was appropriate and what was not um so it was even like a controlling of my physical outside person Mm -hmm. Um, and not just my feelings and my emotions. Yeah. Oh, I'm I noticed... a girl. You know that my clothes were <laughs> policed. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, though, because I noticed a difference when you and I were just talking about our um, experiences. You used very specific terminology of uh, of being controlled. And you used very specific language of having to like watch out Mm -hmm. and having to monitor your reactions and what you broadcast to the world. And I find that interesting because I didn't have that same experience. Not, not at least in some ways. And I suspect that that's because you identified as a girl and I identified as a boy Mm -hmm. and can we talk about just for a second about how there's such a wide gap between how girls and boys are treated in these traditions and their expectations. And cause that is my point. You, when um, you were talking, it was all about how you had to kind of monitor and um, regulate. Mm-hmm. Cause in those traditions, it's always the girl's fault. If yeah. the boys tempted, it's the girl's fault. If, something happens it's the girl's fault it's never that the boy should have also been regulating and being really self-aware that's the girl's job yeah um we could talk about that at length i mean there's there are huge double standards um you know so much is placed on girls in purity culture um you know i I'll just say I developed very young. Um, I I was um, I was just really young when my body really started changing, and and that's confusing and hard to navigate already. But when you are made to feel like your body is somehow this thing that you're using, whether you're aware of it or not, to tempt people. Um, especially at such a young age, it's, 
it's very confusing. You know, I I remember when I was like in middle school and um, my like, I have really narrow shoulders anyway. So my bra strap would fall and in church people would call that out. And like women even would just, you know, something as simple as my bra strap kind of falling and showing a little bit and they would like um, chastise me for that. Or, um, you know, I was constantly being told to pull my shirt up or pull my shirt down, you know, and that's not, that's not unique. I think every, every girl experienced that, uh, in that culture. For me, it started very young. Um, yeah, I remember even like one of our youth leaders, like just, she went up on the stage and she was crying and she was saying like, I really think that the reason that some of you girls aren't pressing in, you know, that's a very churchy term for not worshiping hard enough. Yeah. Right. Um, is because you wear shirts that are too short and you're going to expose your stomachs when you raise your hands and you should really think about, she's crying. She's very upset. Um, but yeah, she was telling us we need to wear more appropriate shirts. So that you can feel better about worshiping Jesus. So that we can raise our hands and not worry about exposing our stomachs. So she was even using purity culture and those expectations of y'all as girls to like regulate how you worshiped even. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she was blaming the fact that you wore a shirt that was not long enough so that when you raised your hands, nothing would be exposed on the fact that you could not worship Jesus properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, well, and she wasn't to be fair. She wasn't calling out me specifically. Um, it was just, she was speaking in general, but you know, maybe it's just the fact that we're teenagers and maybe we just don't really want to lift our hands. <laughs> Because, yep. I mean, in retrospect, that's weird. But um, <laughs> maybe there's more to it than we're just trying not to expose our stomachs. Yeah, yeah. But to make the assumption that, that, that that's what it was. Yeah, clearly. You can't, you can't truly worship Jesus unless you're wearing a boxy tank top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With something over it because you can't show the straps. Yeah. Yeah, the sleeves have to be long enough that your straps won't show if they fall down. Yeah. yeah. I have I have specific memories of um, girls at the private school that I grew up in, um, which I will not mention the name of, um, that if there was a, uh, a chance that their skirt was too short, and by too short, I mean the rule was um, that if they dropped their hands to their sides, that their skirt had to come to the, the, uh, the tip of their middle finger or lower. That was the kind Mm of, uh, um, that was kind of the rule. Um, there was also another rule that it had to come to your knees, but that wasn't specific, um, enough because some girls would like wear it like an inch above the middle of their knee. It it just became this kind of weird, Um, where they were trying to um, um, express themselves and the rule gave them way too much room to do that. And so they had to shut it down. And so it turned into this like 
fingertip thing. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking like, what about the girls that had really long arms or really yeah. short arms? Like, so it's, it's just the absurdity of all of it. But yeah. the most absurd part was, is if their skirt was too short and their mom, probably mom, because moms should stay at home and not work, should bring them um, a change of clothes. And mm -hmm. these girls would have to go sit in the principal's office. Yeah, like they're in trouble. Like they're in trouble. And if their mom or dad could not bring a change of clothes, then there were these um, long skirts that they would have to change into. And they were usually like hideous and one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And it was more important that the like centimeter of their knee that was um, exposed was now covered than it was that these girls were now being humiliated yeah, because of what they were wearing. Like, I can't even think about the mental trauma that, that, that puts a young developing mind through. Yeah. I mean, it's the onus of, you know, of sexual temptation is it's all on girls and when you think about it often very young girls you know you never hear of boys having you know they might get sent home for their clothing if it I mean I went to public school <laughs> so sometimes they might get sent home for like having a cuss word on a shirt or something or big holes in their jeans but it was never you know you're tempting girls you know and in church you you'd ne you would never hear um, anything about boys, you know, even if they were the biggest flirt ever, you'd never hear anything about them, you know, they, they're inappropriate, they're trying to tempt boys. You never told boys they had to wear a t-shirt, mm -hmm, you know, right. on pool day, you know, but yeah. girls, they either have to wear a one piece or they have to wear a t-shirt over their bikini. And if they wore a t-shirt, then everyone in youth group knew that they were a slut who wore a bikini mm -hmm. and probably mm -hmm. just didn't even have a one piece. And that says a lot about a girl. She doesn't have a one piece, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, well, at the camp that I went to during the summer, girls and boys were not even allowed to swim at the same time. They had like their own separate times. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking, as we're talking about, like, dress code, as we kind of launch into this, I was thinking about, like, that perspective from, uh, from the girls' uh, perspective, and I was, I was thinking about the dress code that I grew up with at the private school that I went to. For the boys, it was about propriety and what was proper for a male to wear, and how that was defined was what is masculine and what's not. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, what, what we wear, how we wear it may tempt girls. That was like not even a thing. It was that what if it, it was the, it was that the rules were making sure that what we were wearing broadcast our God given masculinity or enhanced our masculinity. So we were never um, allowed to wear necklaces or bracelets or any kind of jewelry that was a girl thing That's too feminine yes we could never dye our hair that was a girl thing we could never have long hair with like shaggy bangs or anything mm -hmm. like that like all of 
the Beatles haircuts would have been against this school's dress code. Like, because that is not, those things do not um, enhance or point to God-given masculinity. Um, and uh, it's so interesting as we're talking about this, just like contrasting how, how very different mm-hmm. um, the rules were drawn up for boys and girls. Yeah, it's interesting that you said God-given masculinity, but there is never, ever any talk of honoring God-given femininity with your Mm. clothing. It was always about protecting boys. Yeah. And and if you're talking about protecting any sort of femininity, it's about protecting your virginity. I mean, femininity in, in evangelical culture boils down to service and and virginity that is where your worth is found yes and and what your worth is tied to Mm -hmm. once you're no longer a virgin which of course is once you're married of course um then then it's it's about service can you explain exactly what you mean by service um well, you know, there's this kind of mentality that like, um, and I don't remember anyone telling me this explicitly, but there was always this mentality of like, every girl wants to be a, a pastor's wife. Oh, kind of the like homemaker yeah. kind of kind of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, the best you can hope for in a church setting is, is to be a servant. You know, as a girl and as a woman, you're never going to be, you're never going to really be a leader. You're going to, you're going to be a servant somehow. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to serve in the women's ministry. Mm -hmm. You might be a leader in the women's ministry. You might be a leader of children's ministry, but it's really just service. You know, it's, you're never going to be a teacher. You're never going to be a pastor. You're never going to really be a leader. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. You'll like you will be the one who bakes all the casseroles for all of the Sunday brunches. Yeah. And you're going to, you're going to organize everything. And, um, you know, every time someone's in the hospital, you're going to, you're going to organize a care team to go. And every time someone is having a baby, you're going to plan the shower, you know, it's Mm. just all this like emotional and physical labor that is, um, it's just expected of, of women in the church. Yeah. So I'm not going to save this for our You Ain't Gonna Believe This Shit segment. <laughs> um, but it is one of those You Ain't Gonna Believe This Shit. There was a very popular, um, I think it's fallen out of popularity now, but a very popular uh, Christian conservative evangelical, particularly Southern Baptist college back in the day that uh had a degree and well i shouldn't say a degree i don't know if it was a bachelor's degree or an associate's or if it was just like a certificate but of how to be a pastor's wife because men would go to this college to train to be a pastor and the women of course couldn't be a pastor and so what did they go to train for well they you know they trained to be a pastor's wife because that takes certain skills and certain um there are certain expectations that have to be fulfilled. Right. 
but I mean, back to your, what you were saying about, um, kind of the, the bounds that they, the purity culture had you in. I, I think it's important to remember that impurity, purity culture is not just about, I mean, it is about controlling women and girls, but it also like, like anything that's oppressive, it oppresses men and boys and, and every, of people of every gender gets oppressive to everyone. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, men grew up to like not be expressive mm-hmm. and kind of hold everything in. <laughs> and I think yeah. I, I didn't think about that until just this second when you mentioned that, but how much of that is tied to them not being able to in a healthy way express themselves sexually. Yeah. Well, and also white male rage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, all of all of these innate human hormone-driven feelings that they had to suppress, 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 mm-hmm. suppress. That then, once they're grown and out from under all of those all those rules and boundaries, that just turns into white man's rage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a very traditional home. Um, it was a big family. I. My mom stayed home. My dad worked. He worked very hard, ridiculously hard. And when I think about like, what if he had been, what if both my parents had been in a culture that didn't require so much, you know, my dad maybe could have enjoyed his family more. And Mm. my mom could have enjoyed having a professional life outside of the home, I think she would have been so, she would benefit from that so much. I mean, she does now, she's a teacher now. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, these these, um, boxes that we place people in are suffocating. You know, it was hard. It was hard for my dad to carry the weight of financially providing for seven people. And we were not, you know, he was not in a field where um, that was easy. You know, it was not that we, you know, my mom chose to stay home because we could afford it. It was, well, part of it was because childcare is expensive when you have that many kids, but also it was because they're traditional. Mm, Yeah. And they thought that was the best thing for the family. But it put a lot of, I think, undue stress on it on everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just I'm just kind of sitting here stunned at like all of the ripples mm-hmm. that spin out from this type of culture and and this way of of living that suppresses healthy human sexuality, uh, healthy human sexual development, healthy human sexual expression, like all of the consequences of of living that way it's huge i mean it literally like seeps into every corner of how we develop how we developed as human beings Mm. yeah i mean what's the extent that you were taught about sex so um Not much. A couple things. So in school, um, in biology class, this was probably 
freshman or sophomore year of high school, there was a single day spent on human sexuality. And it was all very much uh, fun, um, fundamentalist perspectives from scripture mm-hmm. uh, that um, the only normative sexual um, behavior is between a man and a woman within marriage for the purposes of, of uh, procreation. Mm-hmm. Like that was it. Um, interestingly in that class, the word sex was not mentioned one time. Uh, it was marital relations. Like it was, oh God, it's so, it's kind of tough to think back on because we were so repressed. Like the um, idea, the concept of human sexuality was so repressed that the one class that we talked about human sexuality, the word sex could not even be uttered. Like it was marital relations. Like, wow, that is crazy. Um, There was no sex ed class. There was no, there was no sexual um, education at all other than that single class during, uh, I think it was biology. Um, That's it. And then the only other exposure I had was my mom sat me down uh, probably around that same time and kind of went through a 30 minutes spiel on how babies are made, the typical birds and bees conversation. And then that was it. Never talked to her about it again. It was never talked about in school again. That was it. It was this thing that was brushed under the rug, which is so ironic because it's it's it plays such a role in that in in that culture. And yet, when it comes time to talk about it in a healthy way, it's like this you can't do it. No, it's just this awkward thing that's like shoved in the back of the closet, mm-hmm. um, which is so ironic because it is it is such it is at the center of those faith traditions that we grew up in mm-hmm. and yet and yet at the same time it is avoided like the plague yeah what was yeah. your experience well my mom was pretty open with me the way i remember i was maybe like five and i remember watching the little mermaid <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, they do a full, like, open mouth kiss. Oh, right. And right. I remember asking mom, I said, mommy, why are they sucking on each other? <laughs> and or I said, like, why does it look like that? And she said, well, they are. And then proceeded to tell me the ins and outs of sex. And, but it, it so my mom was like, pretty open about sex because she, she wanted us to, she did never want it to be a hidden thing. She was very much like, I don't want you learning this from school or for your peers. So you're going to hear it from me, which I think is good, but it was, that's commendable. in a very like antagonistic way um, um, because of her experiences. So it was more like, um, yeah, men are going to try to get this from you. Don't get, don't put yourself in a compromising situation. Oh, if there was wow. never any, anything to do with like, um, you know, this is a, this is supposed to be a pleasurable experience and you're also supposed to enjoy it. And here, by the way, here's your anatomy. Um, because you know, it's more than just, you have more than just a vagina, <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there. I, 
like didn't grow up in, you know, at least learning from my mom, like female anatomy. We talked about sex, you know, at times more than I wanted, but it was, it was always just like, um, yeah, just like it's, it's something that you're keeping from men that men are always going to try to like get from you and don't be stupid, you know? So this idea that it's like your worth was taught to you in that way. Yeah. Well, and it's like, once you give it away, you lost your worth, Uh you know, uh and there was this mindset of like, every time, you know, once you have set, it's the soul ties. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you have sex with someone, like your souls are connected and you take pieces Uh of each other and, you know, it's, this diminishing kind of mentality that every time a person has sex, they like lose a a piece of themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And looking back, I I just kind of blows me away that like, why do we believe that like pieces of ourselves break off every time we have sex with someone that does, especially by something that's so innately human. Right. I it's, it truly blows my mind now, but it's interesting that that doesn't happen once you're married. You can have as much sex as you want and you're not mm. losing pieces of yourself. Mm. There's no diminishing mm-hmm. person in a, in a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I remember altar calls. Uh, so we had chapel every Friday at the school that I grew up in. And during the altar calls at chapel, um, there were multiple times throughout the year where, and it wasn't just girls, but it was almost always girls that um, responded, uh, where students were invited to uh, come forward for prayer if they had lost their virginity. Uh, They were um, invited to come forward for a prayer to like reorganize and reclaim their virginity. Like it was reconstructed through prayer. Um, and I'm thinking, now I don't know the situations around like, you know, why, how, if all those students had sex, that's none of my business, but how traumatizing again would it be for one of these students, a kid to go up in front of everybody at a chapel service and mind you, all, all of us were told to close our eyes, but I don't know if you had the same experience as I did, but you know that we were always peeking out of one eye to see yeah. who was raising their hand about who wasn't saved or who wasn't a virgin anymore, or whatever, or who <clears> needed <throat> to get rid of their um, bad worldly music habit. You know, mm-hmm. like we, we always had a little eye open to see who was like the worst Christian than we were kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but how, how traumatizing for a kid to have to go up in front of their peers in a very public setting and get their virginity reconstructed. Yeah. Did you have any kind of um, experience like that? You know, I don't remember anything like that specifically in my church growing up, but I will say that this, this church that I was in at one point, there's this, um, it was the first time I had heard it. And I was like, I was in my early twenties. I was an adult. And, but there is this, this artist, he was like, he was like a prophetic musician, you know? So he, he sang, mm-hmm. he sang nonsense basically is what that means. And he didn't have like <laughs> lyrics. Um, but he had this song 
that went, I'm gonna try to get this out. When I'm with my daddy, my innocence is restored. Over and over and over. Like that's that's the song. He just and daddy like, was God. Yeah. Yep. Oh no. Yeah. Megan, um, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing, it didn't say anything about sex, but what's the thing that comes to everyone's mind? Yeah. 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 Wow. I, that's, that is one I had never, I had never heard of. Yeah. Oh, it was a favorite in our church. I'm thinking about all of the, um, all of my classmates at that school, uh, who grew up and who, um, had children out of wedlock who were then forced into marriages that they may not have had, um, otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, and it all happened after school, like once they graduated from the school, because if it happened during, they would have been kicked out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just thinking all of those pent up feelings that once they graduated, they weren't being held down by rules anymore, just like exploded. And then all of a sudden, um, they're in uncharted territory yeah. And, um, and they haven't been trained to cope or to deal or to maneuver that uncharted territory because they've mm-hmm. been taught that sex is such a bad thing. I'm thinking about um, many of my friends who once they graduated, uh, who um, became sexually active, who developed STIs and that kind mm-hmm. of thing because they weren't educated on preventative measures. They weren't um, educated on contraception, they weren't um, educated on disease transmission, all, all of these things that, that, yeah, may be an awkward conversation, but the conversations weren't had, and so they did not have a knowledge of how to behave, if, if they are going to be sexually active, how to behave in a healthy, functional way mm-hmm. sexually. Like, and ultimately they were the victims of yeah. all of those rules. Yeah. Um, they, they had to deal with an unplanned pregnancy. They had to deal with STIs. They had to deal with humiliation and being ostracized from their faith communities when they had a baby that they shouldn't have, you know, mm-hmm. um, they had to be forced into a marriage that they maybe didn't want to get into. And some of them now are divorced. Um, all because those conversations, well, all because of the, um, oppressive, uh, ways of purity culture and this major avoidance of anything sexual, including healthy education. Yeah. Um, I think I might tell you my, you're not going to believe this shit early because it's good timing. (laughs) Um, Let me have it. (laughs) So when I was in school, of course, we had abstinence only sex ed, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. means that for us, we had a guy named Chad. I I don't know why I remember this guy like so vividly. I even remember his last name, but Chad worked for the local crisis pregnancy center and was really young. Like he was not much older than us. And um, he went to 
the other local high school um, that was the rival of my high school. I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the one that my husband went to. And actually, I was talking to my husband about this recently, and he's like, oh, yeah, I played football with Chad. Um, <laughs> they went to high school together. Um, so Chad, like, graduated from that school and then, like, went right on, I guess, to work at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. He was very young, but his testimony was... You know, he was like captain of the football team and his wife was like Miss Cheerleader. And, you know, we were high school sweethearts and we waited until we were married. So you losers definitely can. <laughs> that is so condescending, first of all. Oh, I mean, of course he didn't say you losers, but well, it was, but it was he, so he actually did say like, oh, can you imagine how hard it was for us? If we can do it, you can do it. Well, right. Yeah, right. you're right. Wow. It was baked in, but it was also explicit too. Um, yeah. So I, re I don't, again, I don't know why I remember him so well, but <laughs> I remember him saying, we got married, had sex. And nine months later, we were given it a name. <laughs> so, oh my god! It really reinforced that belief that um, you will get pregnant as soon as you have sex. Uh, yeah, which is something yeah. that I really believed. I was terrified of that. Um, and so, one time, he was. He was showing us the effectiveness of condoms and he used a tennis racket. He held it up and he threw oh, right Megan, into it. it. I'm, I'm not even joking. And he said, sperm is so small. It goes right through a condom. It's as effective as this tennis racket is at catching rice and you just threw it in to the racket. Pay no mind to like scientific studies that show that it's like 99.5% mm -hmm. effective or whatever. But I am laughing at this visual, this like sermon illustration of a tennis racket and rice. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, for the longest time, I really thought, why does anyone use condoms? They're not even effective. Can you imagine? I'm sure I'm not the only one. I just happened to not really be at risk because I wasn't sexually active. But like, how but many? some other people were. How many kids like just didn't even bother because they saw that and were like, well, I'm not going to use this because it's not effective anyway. Mm. Mm -mm. This is mm -mm. the problem with lying. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. just that you're lying. It's that it affects other people. Yeah. <laughs> and like life changing effects potentially. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, I feel like I have given plenty of you ain't going to believe this shit stories in this episode, <laughs> but I do want to share just a funny one. I um, want to hear it. Did you ever come and visit me at Belmont? Yes. The year and a half that I was there? Yes. Was it like at nighttime and um, in my dorm room? Yes. Okay. I don't think I was supposed to be there. 
No, no. And that's the whole, that is the whole point of my story. I'm pretty sure that I snuck you in. So yeah, um, I'm gay. My roommate was gay. I remember and, that roommate. Yeah. Yep. Me too. Um, and we were both flaming homosexuals. Mm-hmm. We both still are. And um, I remember uh, the rules at that school back then it was affiliated with the Southern Baptist convention mm-hmm. And the rule was that you could not have a person of the opposite sex in your dorm room after a certain time. And, um, and I remember having all my girlfriends over and they would have to like leave at certain points, but I would also sneak them in sometimes because there was 0% chance of anything sexual happening between me and one of my girlfriends. And I remember one time, I think it was uh, my friend, Jessica Stinson, um, shout out to Jessica, who <laughs> was girl. over in my room after the curfew point, and I got written up, like, I got a demerit or something. I got written up for having a girl in my dorm room after, like, 8 p.m. or something, and it's, it's just so absurd, because, like, she and I were good friends, but I'm gay. I'm lit by a yeah. gas-powered flame, and there was no chance, but, like, those those rules that exist in purity culture assume that like homosexuality is not a thing and that gay people don't exist yeah you just don't even exist or shouldn't exist yeah and so there's no like allowance for any of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and it ended up working out for me sometimes because if I had a date or something and you know the guy if I you know I would have him over to watch a movie or something and um, he would leave at the end of the night, but it was much later than the curfew, and they never said a word. But it's they a never guy. Said a word. So I agree. <laughs> I know that you were like out to your friends and everything. Were you like out to to everyone at Belmont? Um, I I kind of was. I kind of wasn't. And I think I want to save the most of this story for our podcast on homosexuality because mm-hmm. I feel like we've got to do one of those. For sure. Can we conclude this podcast in a little bit of a different way this time? Yeah. I want to know what, what beautiful, healthy things you've learned about your sexuality and just kind of like how far you've come. Because I, like, I, I, I'm so glad that we've had a chance to vent and, and talk about this. I think there, there will be people who cannot live authentically, who hear us tell our stories, who will get strength to tell their stories. I hope that that's the case. Yeah. But I also want us to let people know that we've survived and we're on the other side and that we look at human sexuality as a thing to be treasured and beautiful and a very important part of who we are as human beings. And so I don't know if you just wanted to like share something on that vein, just to kind of give people hope or, and, and especially I do not want to be like the guy that like is telling the woman what to do, but like, especially like talk to girls maybe to like give them hope. And, and I will say, I can see us doing another episode about this because, I mean. I there is so much I didn't share. There's so, me too. We'll do a follow-up. So, I got you, yeah. yeah, so a beautiful thing that I have learned about sexuality in recent years um, is, is 
that female pleasure is not only possible. I don't, I can't believe we even still debate this today, but um, it's, it's good and it's, it's necessary. Um, I think that I don't, again, I don't know why we're still debating whether women can have pleasure in sex and why women can orgasm, but it's an important component, just as important as male pleasure. And, um, it's been, it's been really eye-opening and really kind of fun to, to approach, um, sex with that in mind and not just like, well, this is something we do, or this is like, you know, even worse, something I do for my husband or I let him do to me, which I've never really had that mentality about it. But I, I was told that a lot growing up. It's definitely present. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, there, I grew up being told like, well, if you don't have sex with your husband when he wants it, then he'll leave you and he will have the right to leave you. Mm-hmm. And I, um, yeah, so it's been nice to transition into a more like, this is for both of us. It's not, this is something I allow you to do so that you don't leave me. Mm. I'll add to that. I, um, as a gay person, there was an added layer of just disgust over my own sexual expressions. And, um, I remember like going out on dates and kissing a guy and feeling pleasure and equal disgust at the same time. And I had to like repress the disgust because I genuinely had a good time on this date. And this kiss was an expression of that. And um, it was expression. It was an expression of my sexuality, but I literally repressed and repressed and repressed this feeling of disgust that I had and it has taken years, years and years and years and multiple sessions of therapy. Um, but I'm happy to say that I've kind of made it to the other side. Um, a lot of what you just described that it is a beautiful and necessary thing. And it is, um, I think it is, it is, it was intentionally given to us as a gift um, and it's pleasurable and it is, I keep coming back to the word beautiful and it's so cliche, but it really is an absolute for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. And so I guess I would just add that it is possible to get to the other side and find, um, find sex to be pleasurable, find sex to be, um, a value, a value valuable part of who you are as a human being i'm so glad yeah me too so what are you into these days um well i as i have told you we bought a house and it's our first house and I'm really excited. Um, we'll, we should, we'll probably move next middle of next month. Um, so I've just been thinking about that a lot. Also I've gotten really into a couple of shows. 
that I'll, I'll just tell you because I don't really get to talk to people that much anymore. Um, <laughs> so the, have you heard of Yellowstone? I've heard of it. Oh my God. We haven't watched it yet. It's so good. It's so good. It's like, it's, it's almost like Game of Thrones, but like condensed down to one family in Montana. Oh. So it's beautiful. Like it's just stunning to watch. Casey and would love that. Game of Thrones was like his favorite show ever. It's, yeah, it's um, it honestly kind of reminds me a lot of the Trump family. It's like this really powerful oh. family, and like, um, they're like fighting to stay in power, and like some of the kids are disdained, and some like one is like two are like the favorite. It's just mm -hmm. if you, if you've read anything about like inside the Trump family, you'll see a lot of similarities, mm -hmm. but um. Yeah, it's visually, it's almost like taking a vacation out to Montana. It's just beautiful. Oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> so in an era where none of us can really take a vacation, um, it's nice to see some beauty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've also gotten into Catfish, the show. Oh, like the old um, MTV show. It's still going get out of here it is still going and it it's it been is on for a long time then it has it is a treat it is just like i used to watch it religiously yeah it's one of those shows where like i used to like never choose to watch it but if i watched even two minutes of an episode <laughs> i was hooked i was definitely <laughs> gonna watch to the end <laughs> it's so addictive um, so Jeff and I just finally were, we just decided to lean into that <laughs> and we're like, let's just watch it from the beginning. That's also some very good churchy, <laughs> some churchy language. Lean oh, into it. lean in. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, what are you getting into? I am going to make a shameless plug to a book that I read recently. Um, true? on purity culture called Shameless by Nadia Boltz Weber. Have you had a chance to read it yet? Not yet. Megan, you've got to. It is so, so good. It not only expose, um, exposes a lot of the just really bad things that purity culture gave us as kids growing up, but it also re-envisions and recontextualizes healthy sexuality as a gift from God and as a, uh, and, and it frames it as a beautiful thing from like a theological perspective. Now that will not be everybody's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Not, um, not, um, not everyone is on, um, a Christian journey, but it, but she does such a good job at reframing sexuality and like taking it back. She, she mentioned that multiple times in the book that she is taking it from out of the hands of those who have used sex to manipulate and ostracize and condemn. She's taking it out of those hands and, and, and re-labeling it as what it really is, as a beautiful gift from God. And when I set that book down, I healed in places that I didn't know needed healing still. Mm. It was just, it was, it's so well written. Again, not everybody's cup of tea. Um, and I've, I finished a, a couple of months ago, so I'm not currently into it, but I had to mention that book in this podcast and yeah. anybody listening, um, you have to check it out. If this is something that you're unpacking or processing still, because Nadia does such a good job at um, walking that journey with you. It's just a really, really good book. And to boot, 
because she's Nadia Bolts Weber, uh, to um, uh, to um, advertise uh, for the book before it came out. She, I don't know if, if you know this, she had girls send in their purity rings. I thought you were going to say that. <clears throat> Which we didn't even talk about purity rings in this podcast, but it anyway, had a purity ring. I'll just say yeah, that. I, I had a more later. promise ring. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. So she had girls send in their pro, pro, I, no, they actually were called promise ring, promise mm-hmm. rings, not purity rings. Yeah, she had them send in their promise rings. She had them melted down and recast into a sculpture of a vagina. Love it. And it was unveiled, I think, at the book launch or something like that. And none other than Gloria Steinem, the uh, great uh, um, women's activist, uh, was there to help her unveil the statue and launch the book. Yeah. That's amazing. It was great. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to read the book. You've got to read the book. I will. I have, have you read Pure? By... Uh, yeah, Linda K. Klein. Oh, I have heard of the book. Yes, I have. I have it. I haven't read it yet. Um, mm. Jeff got it for me for Valentine's Day. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, but yeah, I mean that my reading list is forever long, so that's why I haven't mm. gotten to it yet. But. Minus two. two. I had written, huh? I was going to say, yours is two. You're in grad school. Oh, yeah. I had, well, I had been reading so much like um, spirituality and theology that I needed just a good like uh, book from Nadia Boltz Weber. And I, that's mm-hmm. when I picked up Shameless. And it's so good. It's, it's not like intellectual at all. She has this. Have, have you ever read um, uh, any of her stuff? I haven't. She has this way of just like speaking so plainly and it's, but her words are so profound and they drive straight through your soul. I mean, Mm. she's so, so good. Yeah. I've heard her speak, you know, several times and I, I always like her and I always feel like a kinship, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we would be friends, (laughs) you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think I've always known I would like her books, but I do remember when, that story came out about the purity, like the promise rings. And back then, that was several years ago now. Yeah, it's been probably two or three years ago. I, back then, I was like, that's a little extreme. <laughs> <laughs> now? Oh, now I'm like, that's awesome. Um, but yeah. Now I'm but, like, my and- queen, my queen. I love that you did yes. that. Yeah, and it wasn't, it was just like my, like my gut reaction. It wasn't like I held it against it, but it was, my first reaction was like, that's a little extreme. But then I was like, actually, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. That's kind of her mode too, to like be extreme. Like, mm-hmm. but, but not to go so far that people start to tune her out. Like, yeah. she knows the boundary to walk to like get people's attention so that they listen yeah well and when you grew up in purity culture there's a lot that's like your knee-jerk reaction is like uh, oh yeah oh yeah like this disgust like why do you have to do that um yeah 
yeah, but it's, it's a, it's a constant process of undoing that. Yeah, absolutely. Next time on Wrestling With God, I remember getting home from school and no one being there and being terrified that the rapture had happened and I had been left behind. Just a reminder, you can find us on Instagram at WrestlingWithGodPod. Thanks for joining us for episode three of Wrestling With God. Just remember, like rice through a tennis racket. So are the days of our lives.